four or five times a day, I would get beat by like the nuns at school. The question was, would you trade all of that, including being molested as a child? To be molested as a child? One time. How could that even happen? Let's just never bring this up. Where's your mom? She disappeared. Seems like he's regretting doing that. Also one of the reasons it became much more apparent that it's probably something that he did. How did that happen? That's a crazy story. How do you see forgiveness? I remember we were in this hilly Balinese hut right on a hill. It was like sunset. We're with their fire. We're making homemade bread and some pork. And I asked the question. I'm like, where's your mom? Mm. And the answer you gave me just completely knocked me out of the gate. It does that. I'm very open with just discussing my life and because I've dealt with a lot of the stuff. Yeah, I remember I told you, I was like, my dad killed my mom when I was two. Oh. Still shivers, complete shivers. Trust me, it's like that for me too. The more I've started to actually just say it out loud and actually deal with it, the more I've started to face it. Yeah. Because to me, it's just part of my life. But to when I say it to people, it sends that shock to their heart yeah. and you feel the pain. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because I don't understand what that is. Interesting. I don't know what it's like to have a mom. Yes. So I don't understand what it is the loss, what it is to feel the loss of your mother. Wow. And I think as I've grown, I've had a lot of mothers. I've been blessed with the motherly energy all throughout my life. But I've also taken spirit on as my mother. And the closest feeling that I can connect to it is when I wasn't connected to spirit in my life and what that felt like. That was like my soul is screaming from the bottom of myself yeah. for that connection, for that love. Yeah. Let's unpack that for people who are like, how, did the, how could that even happen? Yep. Um, can you describe how do you find out about that? So it was interesting. And I remember being a, like four, four or five, somewhere around there, whenever my memories start. <clears throat> and I remember asking my family. So I was actually raised by my grandmother, my grandfather, my aunt and my uncle. And I remember asking them, wait, where's my mom? Yeah. All the other kids have moms and like, where's my mom? And the response was always, your mom ran away. She disappeared, not even ran away, she disappeared. Yeah. And even as a kid, I was like, what do you mean she disappeared? Like she popped out of existence? Like she pulled a magic trick on us or something? Like give me more details. And they're like, no, don't ask questions like that. Some questions shouldn't be asked. Wow. So then a few years later, I was like, okay, well, at least show me a photo of her. Yeah. And they're like, we don't have photos of her. Wow. But I was smart enough and I was like, you have photos of our older uncle getting married. How come you don't have photos of my dad who's younger getting married? Logically, he would he got married later. Yeah. They're like, those are questions you shouldn't ask. In India, it's a backwards culture. So women get killed all the time. And even to this day, I don't know for sure if she was killed. But this is the standard protocol of dealing with somebody who disgraced the family. Yeah. And... I would ask multiple times and nobody would respond and I just would brush it over. And then when I was 25, I asked that question in a family WhatsApp group and I told them, tell me where she is, otherwise I will find out. Because now I have the resources to send in like a private investigator or something to go find out. Yeah. Obviously I would never do that because that would destroy our family's name and it would make us look bad in the first place, which is not at all my intention. And I got the same message back that there are questions you shouldn't ask. But I, would, I'm, I was an adult, so I was like, look, this is a question I'm going to ask because it matters to me in my life. And my cousin pulled me aside and she was like, look, I just want to let you know that your mom was cheating on your dad with the neighbors. And because of that, you know what happens in India when somebody cheats, especially in Sikh culture. We're a very martial culture. We live according to a set of ethics and codes that the violation of which is often paid for with life. Wow. So that's when it really clicked for me 
that that's what happened and this is the way to deal with that whole thing. Now, I don't know. I have no idea. Do you no. have any memories of your mom? Nope. The only memory I had was that I was on my mom's hip when I was a baby and she introduced me to somebody and she said, this is uncle. And then after that, sometime after that, everything went dark. And I was sitting there as a baby, wondering what happened there. The world was light and now everybody's gone and it's dark. And there's a strip of light that I can see. So I'm like sitting and there's a strip of light and I fall over to my side and I look through that strip of light and I see two pairs of feet walk away, which now I presumed was her yeah. and somebody else. Wow. So that's the only memory I have. Crazy. Which then reinforced this idea of, wait, who was that uncle? Yeah. And why did that happen? And where was I? And who walked away? Yeah. Can you tell me more about your dad, your relationship with him? That is not a good relationship. My dad, bless his heart, was clearly broken from this whole experience. Yeah. He was, he actually went to the States when I was four. So I actually didn't see him pretty much my whole life. Did he go working or like? Yeah, he, he, he moved to the States, became a truck driver and was driving there. My, my aunt brought him there. And so from four until nine, I would only see him a few weeks a year. Yeah. And then at nine, I came to California. He called me to California. And even then he was always working and I was a latchkey kid. So I didn't get to connect with him and see, we see him very much. At 15, he brought me to Canada and left me there. How did that happen? That's a crazy story. He was actually dating or he was married to a woman, my, my stepmom, when I came to Sacramento. And we were there for a few years from nine until 14, I was there. And then they had a divorce and I facilitated their divorce at 14 because they weren't acting like adults. And I was enough of an adult at that time to facilitate it. Then he couldn't afford to keep me in the States. So he sent me back to India. And then one day he calls me and he's, you need to come back to Sacramento because we need to renew your passport. But at the time I was becoming like a national handball star in India. Mm -hmm. And I was like, what well, I can renew my passport in India. And he's no, you have to come back. Just renew your passport and I'll let you go back. And obviously he called me back and didn't let me go back. So he was like, you need to stay here. I'm alone. At the time, my brother was in the army, US army in Afghanistan. He was gone. And so he called me back to Sacramento and then he was like, look, I'm lonely. You need to find me a wife. What? And I was like, what? sorry. First of all, no, you've already had four marriages and you're clearly not made to be married. Secondly, what do you mean you want me to find your wife? And he's like, yeah, you're good with this internet stuff. I heard there's a website where you can go and find wives and it's called shadi.com. It's a shout out to shadi.com. Shadi.com. It's called shadi.com. That's how uh, he said it. Right? No, he doesn't have an accent. So I was like, okay, but okay, fine. You're my dad. I'll help you find a wife. But I was like, there's clear metrics. Okay. You're clearly not good with women that have children as the experience has been make sure it's somebody without children, yada, yada, yada. And I sent my dad on a bunch of dates in California. Wow. It was no, 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 no. And then one day he just out of the blue, he was like this woman and I'm looking at him like, she's in Canada. And he's like, yeah, that her. I'm like, dude, you're not taking me from California to Canada. Like in my mind, Canada was like igloos and polar bears and stuff. Yeah. And I'm like, you're not taking me to Canada. I will run away if you try to take me out of California, the best life, the best weather and everything. And he's no, just come check it out. I'll bring you back. And I fell for the trick again. He took me to Canada and didn't bring me back and got married to her. I facilitated that marriage and months after his marriage, it out of the blue becomes apparent that he has heart disease and he gets triple bypass heart surgery in Canada because there's healthcare. Yeah. And as soon as his heart surgery was done, he just disappeared back to the US and left me with her. And so now she's wondering what the hell, I just wiped this guy's shit yeah. while he was going through the surgery. And did you know this? She's asking me, did I, if I knew it, and I was like, no, if I knew that I wouldn't let him do that. So he disappears. She keeps me there for some period of time. 
And then... How old are you at that point? At this point, I'm 15, 15 to wow. 16. So there was about a year where he's just gone. Finally got in touch with him again. And he's like, hey, just come back to the States. And at that point, I just got pissed. And I was like, when I find you, I'm going to break your legs, bro. If this is, remember, we're six. Yeah. So you violate somebody's trust like that. And the next thing that happens is we break your knees. Wow. And so he just cut me off and stopped communicating. So then I got in touch with him again. And I facilitated another divorce because now I'm a pro at this point. So I was like, okay, at least do this. And so she put me in university when I was uh, 17. And beyond that, I've just been on my own doing my thing. And then in my relationship with him has just been, I've spoken to him a few times and it's not good. Is he yeah. still alive? He's still alive. Yeah. Forgiveness is a big topic that I cannot comprehend how you can forgive for somebody, A, for killing your mother, B, for doing all the other stuff that, that he did to you. How do you see forgiveness? I had a lot of hate in my heart for him for a long time. And as I grew older and became an adult myself, I realized nobody does it right. And then I really looked at his life and I just tried to put myself in his shoes of you have, this, you have your wife, you have kids, this whole thing happens. I, I don't know if he killed her. I don't want to say that, okay? But whatever, she disappears in this way. And the pain that he must have gone through in that process, because he was deeply in love with her. It was a love marriage, which was rare in India at that point. Yeah. The pain he must have gone through during that time. And then to be alone, working your ass off in the US on a truck, which is not a good life yeah. for his whole life. And he worked that hard to take care of me. And I'm sitting here blessed today with this life. And just looking at his life, and seeing how broken he was and how much support he didn't have, I gained compassion for him. I realized that I can't judge him externally from my perspective. He's broken in his own way. Yeah. And at the least, he gave me the gift of leaving my life. So I became thankful for him. I've now gotten in touch with him multiple times. He still is you know, disassociative. But I just, I realized... I'm not punishing anybody by not forgiving him. Yeah. If anything, forgiving him is my release for myself. And you know what? All in all, he did the best he could. So do you feel that you forgave him? Oh, I, I for, I've forgiven him a long time ago. That, that was the only way that I got rid of that darkness from my own heart. Yeah. And I know that there was a big healing journey. Can you describe your healing journey when it starts and what helped you? Yeah. You know, at 12... I found mushrooms. So I had an experience and the mushroom just showed me that this whole experience is just a game, that everything is just the way it is and to enjoy it like it is a game. And the game has hard levels and easy levels and a game isn't a game if there isn't tough stuff to go through. Yeah. So that was the beginning of my awakening to this idea that it's all perfect. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of it's perfect. And I continued those journeys throughout my life. And it would, the, it, at that age, it's a, very, it's a very seminal developmental stage. So it got coded into my being to not keep negativity in my heart and just to live in this way that everything is a game. And I started just enjoying the game like it's a game. Yeah. And luckily, I was playing it like a game since I was a kid. So I just continued playing it like a kid. And through those journeys, through the psychedelic journeys, you have to face these things. You're forced to face these things. So I just got really good at surrendering to everything that I was being shown. And that really helped me surrender to everything that had happened. Yeah. And I've, I continued that throughout my life. Along the way, I also got in touch with different people who helped me see it from different perspectives. Right. So one, one of the most important ones was actually coming to Bali. Because Bali is this land of healing and reflection and, and growth. I was blessed with two years to be with my ex. And she asked me this one question. She said, would you change your traumas? Would you give them up? Yeah. And I really had to say anything. No. Wow. The answer was no, I wouldn't. Why not? Because it makes me this uniquely special human being. I have lived a life. I've experienced life in a way that others have not. So I've ended up at destinations others have not. And I'm able to achieve things in my life that others can't, or not even can't, but have not. Yeah. 
So you anyway, know, I would say I've been beaten so much in my life that when life punches me in the face now, I'm like, oh, my grandma hit me harder. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And even the life of a kid in India, I was blessed. I was treated like a prince. I lived an amazing life. As far as a child's life, I lived an amazing life. But it was like four or five times a day I would get beaten. Wow. By like the nuns at school. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's, I can explain it to you, to you a day in the life of little Please Sam. Please do. You know, it's wake up in the morning. My grandma loves me and takes care of me, hugs me, kisses me, showers me, feeds me, combs my hair, makes me look beautiful, kisses me on the cheek, sends me off to the school bus. I walk up to the school bus, the driver slaps me because he knows I'm going to do something bad. And I, I reveled in it. So I was just, I, I was always a troublemaker. So he would just preemptively <laughs> start setting me into place, but it's, he's charging me up. Yeah. He would try to stop me and I would just go even deeper. Okay, get off of the bus, walk into the first class. It's like a nun that is, it's a Catholic convent school and they are not happy with their life. And they're like, did you do your homework? No. Okay, she's going to bring out a stick that she has a preference of how thick it is because they like to beat kids a certain way. Really? Yeah. So they're different sticks? Oh, different sticks. They all, they have, they take pleasure in this process. Wow. And so she brings out her stick, put out your hands, hit the hands with a stick, sometimes hit your legs, sometimes hit your ass. That's just the first class. Wow. And then the next class, did you do your homework? No. Bam, 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 bam. Next class, did you do your homework? No. So five and then recess. Right? Why didn't you do your homework if, if there was such a big punishment for it? Just... No, that, it's not that big of a burn punishment. Once you start to get, once you get hit by a stick a bunch of times, eventually you're like, why am I going to do my homework? They're just going to hit me with a stick a bunch of times. Whatever, bro. Wow. Because I've been a rebel my whole life. Yeah. If you try to beat me into doing something, now I'll do it even less. Yeah. Just as a fuck you. So I, list, I lived like that as a kid. Plus I was rambunctious. I was enjoying my life. I, was, I don't have time to do homework. I got to go outside and climb trees and stuff. Yeah. And, and so same thing, five times a day. Every day, every weekday, yeah. get a beating and then come back home. They're like, why, what happened? And this, I didn't do my homework. And they're like, my grandpa would be like, come on, do your homework. Yeah. They sit down and do your homework. I would sit down fake doing my homework, convince him that the homework is done. And then run outside and get into trouble doing something crazy. Find a shotgun shell and try to break it open and almost blow my head, friend's head off. Shit like that. Yeah. And then, of course, the, the neighbor, the, this was a time where like, I literally, I was told never to touch shotgun shells. Right? Okay. Because obviously the shotgun shells. Yeah. So because of that, one day I found a shotgun shell and I was like, oh my God. And my favorite thing to do in life was just to break shit open and figure out how it works Yeah. and never put it back together again. So I find the shotgun shell, I go find my bestie and I'm like, hey, I found the thing they told us not to touch. And I know they put this into guns and shoot. So let's find out how it works. So I sit him down. He's sitting down on my right. I put the shotgun shell down, aiming towards him on a rock oh. and I pick up a rock and I raise it above my head and then I just black out. Black out? Yeah, I just black out. I go unconscious and then I come to and I'm being dragged by my collar down the street by one of the neighbors. So he saw what I was doing and he just ran up and smashed me on the back of my neck so hard that I blacked out. Wow. Carries me back to my grandpa and he's, this guy was about to open up a shotgun shell on his friend. And my grandpa was, he was a nice guy. Then he was like, oh yeah, bam, 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 bam. Hands me off to my cousin. He just got a shotgun shell, another beating. <laughs> so that's, that was usually like two, three times a week at least. Yeah. At home, I would be doing something stupid. So it's like the first the neighbors beat you, then they hand you off and the next person, the next person. And then eventually like, it's just a Tuesday, bro. But still didn't stop doing any of those things. Yeah. So then it's like, people would consider that trauma. I consider that training. You know what I mean? I was yeah. like. I had an amazing life. Like I enjoyed the shit out of it. Yeah. And in, in India, kids are just so used to beatings. It doesn't even factor into our life. Yeah. We don't consider it trauma. We actually just consider it just living life as a child. So the question was, would you trade all of that, including your mom, including being molested as a child? Would you trade that? To be molested as a child? One time by a wow. man who was broken himself, who was also forgiven. Wow. Would you trade all of that? And I was like, no, I would not. Why? Because that's what makes me the infinitely resilient pillar that I am today. Yes, but I also assume that it left a stain on you. Oh, yeah. If you are constantly in fear of being slapped or... But I, mean, I wasn't. I wasn't in fear. 
Interesting. I've never feared sticks or being punched or any of that stuff. I was doing it on purpose. If I feared it, I would have stopped doing the thing that I was doing. Yeah. But I knew I wanted to do the thing that I wanted to do. And whatever the consequences are, I'll take it. But that's finding out that your dad killed your mom. Did that realization, that awareness, did that change something in you? Did you realize how fucked up things are? It, it changed. Okay, first of all, it's India. That's also what we call a Tuesday. Like people killing their wives, the wives killing the husbands. Yeah. We're Sikhs. We carry a knife on the side for a reason. It's a protect and provide. But like every week, there's somebody killing somebody, right? Yeah. People just dying left and right. There's too many people. So it wasn't a shock in that, oh my God, the world's fucked up. Yeah. It was like, oh, okay, so that happened. Apparently that's a thing that happened to me or to my mom. And yeah. I've heard about it happening to others. What it made me realize is that I was actually... So for, first I found out that my mom was cheating on my dad. Yeah. And then I found out that it's really likely that she was killed. So I was judging her throughout this whole experience. And when I, it became clear that's what happened, I actually learned to forgive her because I realized I'm holding her soul in a purgatory of unforgiveness because I'm judging her. Yeah. So I actually was able to forgive her. And she showed up. She, her soul actually showed up through multiple different friends and partners that I've had. Yeah. And so she, you saw her coming. Is it like a mushroom trip or is that like a dream? Yeah. One time it was a mushroom trip where one of my partners, just out of the blue, she's your mom's here. This wow. was the first time. And I was like, what do you mean my mom's here? She's your mom's here right now within me. And she wants to tell you something. It's okay. <laughs> And she's, I'm sorry, forgive me, I love you. And just kept repeating that. So at that moment, I wasn't ready to receive it. So I was like, okay, I forgive you, but just, just is tripping me out. Yeah. So she leaves. Then another friend, she came and visited through, to, she asked her for permission to see me through her eyes. Wow. And she entered her and enjoyed seeing me and witnessing me and then left. And then most recently, my current partner, she came in her dream. Yeah. Before we actually met, the day before we, we connected, she came into her dream and was just going about her business and her life and she got to see her and experience her. And she didn't even know any of this was, she yeah. didn't know any of this. And she just out of the blue visited her. Yeah. I talked to a lot of people with deep trauma, not probably not as, as deep as what you are saying, but the common denominator there that people feel that life is unfair. Why did it happen to me? Mm. Why me? Why not other people? Have you ever felt that way? No. That's very interesting. I think that there's nothing fair about life. Yeah. You know what's unfair? I am more blessed than everybody I know. Yeah. Things happen for me better than most people that I know. Yeah. I'm bigger. I'm stronger. I like to think I'm handsome. Pretty I'm, handsome, yeah. I'm all I right. Like I've been blessed. I'm blessed in so many ways. There's yeah. no, they, I actually felt bad for a long time in my life because life was so much easier for me than other people. Yeah. Like for me personally, the things that are happening around me, sure, it's in many ways worse than most people. But was it easier because you have something to compare it with? You know what I mean? For people who did not go for these experiences, for them, I don't know, their significant other living them might be the end of the world. Yep. For you, who had so much deep experiences, if, I don't know, the earthquake happening here, he, here right now, you would be like, that happened. And for somebody else, will be like, this is the yeah, end of my life. This is hilarious. You're saying earthquake. I, I, I was sitting at Bali Bustle on the top floor working, and a giant earthquake hits, and the whole building starts shaking, and everybody runs out. Everybody, like, drops everything and sprints out of the room, and I'm just sitting there laughing like a madman. Yeah. I'm just laughing. I'm like, you're this scared of dying? You know, Jesus Christ. If I'm meant to die, I'm meant to die. Yes, my baseline of trauma is at a different level compared to other people. To other people, that losing a loved one is so traumatic. To me, I haven't had that since I was nine. At seven, my grandma passed away. My mom, my, the love of my life, passed away when I was seven. And at nine, everything was taken from me, all the friends, all the everybody, all the family, and I was brought to, to the US and left to be on my own. And I've basically just been on my own since I was nine. 
And so my idea, I don't even know what it's like to lose people because I don't know what it, I don't know what it's like to have people. Yeah. So then that's the thing. Would I trade all of that? Would I trade all of that? No. Can you imagine being nine and nobody's telling you what to do? From nine until today, 34, nobody has told me what to do. Yeah. I got to do exactly what I want, whenever I want, for as long as I like. Yeah, you, for, there was like a little bit until 14. They'd be like, where are you? Are you going to come home? It's 2 a.m. in the morning. And I would come in and from 2 to 6, I had to go to sleep and stuff. Beyond that, I got to live a completely independent life and live my own life. Let me ask you a deep question. Let's say you have a kid. Hmm. And let's say your kid would experience what you experienced to have life what you have right now. What would you yeah. say? This, I've thought about this quite a bit. It's if you protect your kids too much, they end up not becoming the kind of person that I am or people. The best people I've met are the ones who've gone through some deep shit. Yes. But it's as a parent, you don't want your kids to go through that deep shit. Yes. So my answer to that would be, I'm going to put my kid through shit. Not this kind of shit. Yeah. But it's going to be shit. It's put them in martial arts where they get their ass kicked and they get a beating regularly. So that's my way of getting them a beating. Put them through the experiences of having to deal with things on their own, even from when they're little. Yeah. And let them suffer a bit. Within reason, let them suffer a bit. For sure. So that there's a happy medium between the two. Yeah. And to answer your question, would I want my kid to go through this to become like me? No. Absolutely not. Yeah. That's just not okay in my eyes. It's not great that any of this happened. Yeah. But if I wasn't here, I died, and my kid went through it, I'd be happy for him. As long as he turned out the way that I turned out. Yeah. I'm only three quarters fucked up. Uh, <laughs> quarters fine have you talked with your dad about that about no he won't even talk to me i, I send him a message and he just doesn't he told me there was one of his wives she was she noticed something that he was a this yeah yeah so this was his wife in canada that i was left with and she came to me and she's like hey have a seat your dad keeps crying about your mom to me like he's bawling crying about her to me do you know what happened to her? I was like, oh, she disappeared. She's like, the way he's crying, it doesn't seem like she disappeared. It seems like he's regretting doing that or whatever. So that that's also one of the reasons that became it became much more apparent that it's probably something that he did. Since you mentioned molestation, I guess we have to talk about it. Other people will be like, why are you not asking that? So I'll ask. Yeah, we gotta ask. How did that happen? How did you and how did you find out about it? And in in India, you're told as a child, people are gonna try to stick things in your butt. It's just straight up. Do not let think people put things in your butt. You're a child and people will try to do that. And you become a very smart kid by the time you're seven in India because it's India. You got to really learn to take care of yourself on the streets. So I, I was aware that that kind of thing does happen and I always protected myself. And then when I came to Sacramento, we went to the house of an uncle of my, basically what, what we called an uncle, which was from my stepmom's side. And one of their... It was her friend's brother. And he was always really weird. Like he was like a child. He was like a grown child. Never married. He's just off. And so he asked me, he said, do you want to play a game? And I was like, sure. And in India, we always play the game of show me your dick, I'll show you my dick. As a kid, you do that all the time. Yeah. So he wanted to play that game. So I was like, okay, like, here, look at mine. And he's okay, look at mine. And the game's supposed to end there. But then he took the game further and he was like, okay, I'm going to rub it in your butt. And that's the moment I was like, oh shit, this is what they talked about. Okay. So then I was like, okay, I'm here now. This is an adult. I know what's going on, but also I, I don't have the resilience to actually say no to this thing. And so I just puckered up and I was like, I'm not going to let him put it inside. So he just did that. He rubbed it around, he came on my ass. And then I ended the game and I walked out. Wow. Now, yeah. and even him are forgiven because retroactively thinking about how he was, you can tell he was fucked up as a child. and He was molested as a child. Yeah. That's why he stayed in that fucked up state going into his entire life and he passed on the infection to me. I want to dig more into forgiveness because people who might be listening or watching, it happens to a lot of people. Especially yeah. if you say in India, it happens to a lot of people and it's like normal, normal Tuesday what you're it's saying. fucked up. But... Which is fucked up. Yeah. Um, for somebody watching, listening, if they're experiencing this and they're very traumatized, what can they do? Because it seems like you are 
dealing with it very well. Again, I was blessed enough for it to just be that. Just a one-time experience and just be that. And for me to have the wherewithal to not let it go any further. Yeah. And what I did as a child to deal with it is I actually would pull up this memory and I would scratch over it in my mind with a crayon, literally over the image of it. And I would put it back. I would pull it up and I would scratch over it and I put it back. And I just kept doing that until even today when I pull it up, it's actually just a bunch of scratches. But underneath, I know what it is. Wow. So that was my... One of the, it's, it's reconditioning your memories or cognitive behavior therapy or whatever it's called. Yeah. The biggest thing that I've found, and I, now I've spoken to many, many people who've gone through a way worse experiences around this. And I have found that just talking about it first takes the power away. Yeah. Just understanding that I can do this, that I can openly speak about it in a way that it doesn't have that power over me, that it's something that's, that stains my understanding of me is the first step. Yeah. Beyond that, it's a very personal journey. Beyond that, I wouldn't think that I can tell somebody how to deal with it, but just talk about it. Know that there are others that have had this happen. And until we speak about this topic in a way that is open and accepting, nothing else will change. And just understanding that this is a thing that has continued throughout history. That somebody did it to him, he did it to me. And if we don't speak about it, we will pass it on to others. For me, I judged myself for a very long period of time until I was like 24. I judged myself. For what? For being gay, for letting a man do that to me. For there's so many different mixes. It was like, okay. I'm broken, I'm... I'm something's wrong with me. It actually messed up my sexuality completely. Really? For a long time. Yeah. Like how, I, how that happened when I was like 10. Yeah. And from 11, I started looking at porn and I, I never, and I was never attracted to men, but I, there was always that doubt in my head where I'm not attracted to women the way other men are attracted to women yeah. because my idea of sex was completely distorted from this whole experience. So like my connection first of all my connection with the feminine completely broke down my connection with humanity completely broke down because i stopped trusting anybody and but even more than that like my connection with sexuality broke down yeah. i just did not care i didn't have sex my whole teenage life i didn't have proper sex until i was 22 and even then it wasn't proper sex it was just me acting like i'm having sex yeah and i just could not connect with my sexuality at all i was addicted to porn got Porn-induced erectile dysfunction for a long period of my life. What is that? It's where you just you can only get hard to porn. Really? Like, like women do nothing to you. Wow. Women, men, whatever you're into. And I explored everything. I, I tried to. I was like, wait a minute. If women don't turn me on, does that mean I'm gay? Let me see if men turn me on. And men made me want to like kill them because that that trauma would come up. Yeah. So I was. So I just. I was in this state, and it really, it completely changed the way that I have experienced life wow. and sexuality and it took me again until coming to bali and facing these things and talking about them and having healers that actually worked with me to repair that and it yeah. wasn't until three years ago that i actually gained my full sexuality back i think talking is the hardest one because it's such a deep-rooted trauma yep. do you remember how in which circumstances you started talking about that because i assume you didn't talk for you for a while yeah i spoke about it through anger first Right, because so I was actually with my first girlfriend for 10 years, from 16 until 26. Yeah. We were in love. We just had a great relationship. And then we broke up at 20, 25, 26. Sorry to cut you. From 16 to 26 and you were still addicted to porn. Yeah. And you didn't have any... Yeah, but she didn't want to have sex. She's a, she was a traditional Punjabi girl. Okay. She's, I don't want to have sex before marriage. I'm like, fantastic. You're talking to the right guy. Okay. And we didn't. And then at 22, we started having sex. But like I said, it was, it was terrible. Yeah, yeah. But at 26, we broke up and I'm, now I'm single. And I'm very handsome, very fit. Not very fit, but I was handsome, right? And so my friends are like, okay, let's go. Go time. Let's start fucking around. Because they, they were older and they're in relationships. So they're vicariously living through me. Yeah. And it's like, a year goes by, two years go by, three years, four years. And they're just looking at me like, what is wrong with you? All the women want you but you don't care. So then the joke started like, oh, you must be gay. You must be gay. 
And I didn't care for like a long time. I was like, you guys are idiots. But they just kept repeating that joke over and over. And then this one day I was like, you know what? A man has put his dick in my ass. And the whole room just stopped. Wow. They were just like, because it, they could tell this is not a joke. And they just completely skipped over the, 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 the topic and then went to the next thing. And then the joke came back another day. And that day we were sitting down with the wives. We're hanging out in a family. And they bring up that joke again. And I said it again. And so they were like, okay, can you not say that stuff? I was like, can you not make that joke? Because this is the truth. This is exactly what happened. And I told them. And they were like, okay, let's just not talk about it. Let's just never bring this up again. We won't make the joke. You won't bring it up. Because Why do you think they didn't want to bring it up? Because this is how the world works. It's Calgary. Nobody wants to talk about some deep shit. So you're not allowed to share. Even your friends. Yeah. And they're really amazing people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're amazing. They To this day, we're besties. Yeah. But it's that situation where it's, I don't want to deal with one of my buddies talking about a dude in his ass. That's gross. And it's just, I don't want this sh- to deal yeah. with any of this shit. So it's, there was that whole thing. And then after that, I realized, oh, wait a minute. I can just say it. I can just talk about it. I can say it out loud. And as a matter of fact, fuck you. Now you want to make a joke? Who wants to make a joke now? This is my joke, right? But it obviously wasn't the healthy way to deal with it. But it was the first time that it actually got brought up and discussed. And it wasn't until I shared it with my partner. So my first partner, I couldn't share with her. She just was too soft and just, we were both children. Yeah. But, you know, coming here to to Bali and having a conscious partner who was actually willing to hold space and listen, that was the first time that I was able to share it in a deep way yeah. and cry and release and deal with it. And then we did sexual role plays around it. That was a big part of it because there there was a because my sexuality was tied to this idea of being powerless and being taken advantage of. So we did role plays around that to actually fix that power oh, dynamic. Wow. And that's where I think, I'm not saying everybody should, but BDSM has been something that's been very powerful for a lot of people. Really? BDSM, power dynamics, there's a lot of sexual play that you can do to- How does it work? Yeah, I mean an emotional level. I was the one taken advantage of by somebody powerful. Yeah. And I lost my power in that. So I realized me being in a power position, sexually speaking, was healing for that. Yeah. So having a what's called a dom sub dynamic. Have you ever heard about that? No. So it's basically like one is dominant, one submissive. Okay. And so I was the dominant one. Yeah. Or in that role play, I was the dominant one. Yeah. And she became the submissive one. And that allowed me to gain my power back. Yeah. It's actually it was profound when I even heard about it, but the way it actually works wow. is very powerful. I know people who have there's people who've gone through molestation and they have rape fantasies and they go through, they either get raped in a fantasy or they're the rapist in the fantasy. And that's one of the ways that they take power back. There's people who get tied up, who had power traumas. There's people who are the ones tying people up who have the these kind of traumas. Crazy. Again, I'm not a pro at this, but it just actually, it definitely worked for me. Yeah. You did not expect this podcast to go here, did you? Like and subscribe. <laughs> yes, I'm not going to say that. But I'm he's sorry. right. Uh, for sure. So talking, I didn't have a lot of trauma, but my parents divorced. And for me, I recently started talking about that. And I mm. think for me, talking is accepting. Mm. Because when you talk about it, you voice that it actually happened. Yep. When it's in your head, you're like, eh, did that really happen? Did I really process it or not? Once you start talking, is accepting. When did you start talking about your dad killing your mom? I started talking about it when I realized it from from my stepmom in Calgary. Oh, I see. So she brought it to my attention that hey, the, he's if he's crying to me, his fourth wife. Yeah. It's actually his fifth wife. He didn't tell us one of the marriages about one of the marriages. I found it on ancestry.com. But his fifth wife, if he's crying about his first wife to his fifth wife, there's something there. Yeah. And I was old enough to put the pieces together at that time. And that's when I started actually digging down deep into it and started discussing it. Yeah. Which is crazy. <laughs> but like, for me, it's been this process of talking about it so openly. Yes. And not being afraid of just the discussion. Because if I really think about it, it happened at some time. Yes. And I was there. 
but I'm not there now. Yes. I'm here now. And it is a construct of my mind that keeps me there. Yeah. And for me to constantly put labels on myself and say, I was molested. I was, I, my mom was killed. But in reality today, sitting here today, if I take that relationship away from who I am today, yeah. then it has no power over me. And also if I can then shift it around and say, and take it as that thing of everything, this is a game and the game is always perfect. Yeah. Now all the fucked up shit is part of the game. Yeah. It was, it's my journey to go through and I've gone through it and sitting here today, who I am today is a result of me going through all of those things. Yeah. Just completely shifts it around. Do you think it left some stains on you? Like you have certain behaviors that result in that trauma. Yeah. I know you have, you run like 12 businesses, which is not normal for a normal person, yeah. but we all know this is Sim. When we talk about it, it's like, yeah, this is Sim. Uh, or let's say if you, I don't know, drink or smoke or do whatever, you do it to the extent where nobody else can match you. Maybe pe some people can, but yeah, we're not going to talk about that. Not that's healthy in yes. any way. So that is a pattern that I've definitely tried to. So I'm thinking over. is to me, when I first seen you, how you let it all go. But once you're like, you're completely absorbed by something. I was thinking there's something deep inside that you're trying to. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. First of all, it comes from my baseline of a lot of things is way at a different level than most people. My idea of stress is not other people's idea of stress. Yeah. And I've been pedaled to the metal for the last 18 years, like every single waking moment, no family, no nothing. And I was like, oh, this is just, this is how I am. Okay, fine. I just dealt with it. Yeah. But beyond that, I've now done a lot of work with my coaches and energetic healers and hypnotists and just so many different modalities of analyzing myself. And it became clear that my whole life I've been searching for connection to the point of, that I became a people pleaser yeah, just to keep people in my life. And through that, it's obviously then trying to prove to the people how amazing I am. So they stay with me. Yeah, I, I lived a lot of my life just to prove it to my dad because he was always like, you're a pothead. You're not going to be worth anything. And the day I was a pothead for 15 years and then Canada legalizes weed and I become one of the premier cannabis experts of the world and build a company. And I, then I called him and I was like, I built a weed company. Up until that moment, I was working to prove it to him and everybody else that I will achieve my dreams. Yeah. And he was like, good for you. I just hung up the phone. So it was so dissatisfying. Yeah. But I've lived a lot of my life in that I'll fucking show you state. Yeah. And even even now it's just become it has it has momentum on its own. Yeah. It's just become a thing where this is just how I live. I just came back from a long trip and I was itching to get back to my life. I'm enjoying I'm on so-called vacation in beautiful places. And a week and a half, two weeks in, I'm just like yeah, I just want to go back to Bali, get back to working out, get back to just working on my, my life's mission and stuff. But yeah, it's it, a lot of it's trying to prove it to people in the world. Those patterns don't go away. Yeah. I, I actually shifted that to proving it to myself because I, what I realized is I was taking it on as anger against people to prove it to them. Yes, And it got to a certain point where I proved it. Everybody was like, okay, 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 yeah. okay. Holy fuck. I can't believe you just did this. And it's, yeah, but it's still not satisfying. Right. And then you start to look for enemies with people like, yeah. like that Jordan thing, right? Where he like walked on the court. He was like, that guy talks shit. That's why we're going to crush it. In the documentary, they asked the guy, did you say anything to Jordan? He's no, I didn't. And then he even admitted, he's no, he didn't. But I just made it up in my head just so that I had something to fight against. Yeah. And so instead of doing that, I realized the toxicity of it and I just turned it around just to prove it to myself Yeah, that when I set a goal for myself, I achieve it. Interesting. And I definitely can relate. For me, I uncovered that, again, parents divorced and I was trying to, I felt abandonment and I wanted to subconsciously earn my dad's love back mm -hmm. by achieving, 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 achieving. At one point I understood this doesn't work. It's just like some story in my head that I'm trying to tell. Yeah. But the other thing that I'm still working on and we talked about it in your housewarming parties being enough. Yeah. There's a lot about 
You don't have to prove anything to yourself. Mm. You're already there. Yep. You are Simkela. Everybody yep. knows Simkela. Yeah. You don't have to prove anything. Yep. Why do you still feel that there's something you need to prove? I don't. Like I've that, that's what I've been doing work on. It's like why I've now started to look at everything I do from a lens of am I doing this to please the person in front of me? Or am I doing this because I really want to do it? Yeah. And it's been about a year of that reflective process to to separate those two things. Is this what I'm what I love to do so much that I'm on vacation and I just want to go back to doing it? Or is this the thing that I'm doing to look a certain way in front of certain people and stuff? You get to a certain level, you know this, you get to a certain level and you're like, okay, if, if I'm doing this to achieve some status or show some people that this is, a, this is an endless, pointless game and yeah. it'll eat me alive. For sure. And so I'm not, at least I don't think so, I'm not fully trying to prove it, prove anything to anybody. Those patterns are always there. They're very difficult to completely get rid of. But today I do what I do because I have a mission of creating a world that's better. And I wake up every single day and I, every action I take, every conversation, I have it through that lens. Yeah. Right? This, is, this was Elevation Barn for me. I am, for all of humanity, I am the navigator that creates a brighter future through education, innovation, and love. Beautiful. That resonates with me to this day and feels aligned with my heart and soul. So I just live life through that lens and Beautiful. everything else is... The last question I want to ask, we'll cut that part up on the phone. Trust, gaining back trust is something that is very hard to do, mm. especially when you are betrayed so many times by the closest people that should be trustworthy, mm. but they're not. Mm. How was the journey of gaining back trust? I'm still on that journey. In, the, in that world of the West, it actually served me really well not to trust anybody because it was worth it. You know, I, I, one, people couldn't hurt me, but secondly, yeah, the world is set up in a way where it's a take-take mentality. So not trusting anybody was, it, it ended up being good. Coming to Bali, I had to go through this whole journey of if you really want to achieve your life's mission, you have to trust people. Yeah, You have to trust that they're going to do it better than you. You have to trust that they're not going to hurt you. And as one of the signals of my healing process has been this process of learning to trust those around me and show love and trust for them. And that's been this beautiful experience of just having the most amazing souls around me that are just as crazy as me. They're on the same mission. And I've shared all of these things. I've cried with them. We've, we were soul family and we've been living life now for years. And now finally, I'm starting to trust people. But not, I don't trust most people. Like I go in with complete distrust for anybody that I meet. Yeah. For years, for years until they prove to me that they're trustable. And even then, I still don't, unless I have to, I don't put trust on them. Yeah. What I do trust is spirit. What I do trust is the universe. That, ever since the age of 12, I learned that, first of all, who takes care of me? Me. I trust me. I trust me to be me at all times. Good, bad, fucked up. I trust that I'm me. And I have all, I've proven to myself, finally, that I take care of myself. Yeah. Secondly, spirit has guided me throughout my life. I've always had, since I was a child, I've had conversations in my head with something that is not me. And to this day, it happens. And psychedelics have been so powerful in clarifying what that is and who that is. Call it source, call it spirit, call it God, call it universe, whatever you want. It has never guided me wrong, has never failed me, has actually guided me towards directions and said, go do this. And I was like, what? Me and me don't want to do that. You know how you have conversations with yourself? You're like, yeah. let's do this. No, let's do this. Both of those were like, who the, what? What are you talking about? I'll never do that. And I was like, trust Trust, trust, and do this. Trust. Sell everything right now and go to Bali. But is that a feeling or is that a real conversation? It's a knowing. It's, it's, see, it's so hard to describe. It's, it's like a realization of the result, if that makes sense. It's I'm walking and I think I should do this. And then a timeline pops up into my head 
that I know what happened all along the timeline until the end result. And he goes, yeah, but this is what happens over there. I'm like, it's like a, it's like a brain flash. Yeah. It's like a brain flash. And I go, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. And he goes, but this has already happened over there. And I'm like, okay, I guess I'm going to do this because this has already happened over there. And I already know the result of me doing that or yeah. not doing it. You know, and actually, I don't know the result of not doing it. I just know the result of me doing that. And I'm, I just, it becomes part of my like memory effectively. So it's not in the mind. It's actually a nervous system thing. It's a reaction to the nervous system. There have been conversations. There's, there's times when I just have, I'm just sitting there having conversations. They're laughing their ass off. And I'm like, shut up. Like, whatever. You guys are always joking around and all yeah. this stuff. But it, throughout life, it's actually just a knowing that just happens and the knowing is the result of the actions that I could take that I have already taken. I just need to go through this timeline and take them. Beautiful. I don't know if that makes sense. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't I make sense to me. It makes sense to me because <laughs> even Anna says that, that I say things, they will happen. Yeah. And they do happen. Yeah. No matter what. We're like, I'm going to live in Southeast Asia. She's like, no. Yeah. She's like dogs. We have a small dog. There's dogs. Yeah. No way. Yeah. We're here now. Exactly. And everything I say happens. In my People, what I think they don't understand, it doesn't happen right away. But if you think about it and if you plan it, it will happen. It might happen five years from now, ten years from now. As long as you still keep thinking it's irrelevant, it will happen. Yeah, and, and it's the, it comes back to that trust and the faith. Yeah. I have undying faith. Faith to the point that it's already done. Yeah. And it becomes part of your existence. And that's what the Joe Dispenza meditations are. That's what this idea of manifestation is. But just understanding that that is how the universe works, that there is a perfect synchronicity to the entire happening of existence, then applied retroactively makes me appreciate everything that has happened. Yeah. You know? And if you truly believe that this whole thing is a game, there's a level to play the way that I did it. There's a level to play that, the way that you did it. And unless I let it be part of my experience today in a way that it holds power over me, it actually doesn't even exist. It's yeah. simply a construct of my mind to learn from wow. and grow from. Beautiful. That's it here, brother. Absolutely. Thank you for being honest, for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. I think it will help a lot of people. And if you're somebody who's listening to this and you feel like it would just help to speak about it, my door is always open. I'll never judge you, or at least find somebody who doesn't judge you. Yeah. And just share it with them and watch what happens when you reflect that back. So thank you. I appreciate you being my mirror. And until next time. Beautiful. Now you can like and subscribe. Right fucking. <laughs> bye bye.